Part 1 Preface of Illyrial, or A Voyage to Other Worlds. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Nigel Carrington, Buckinghamshire, United Kingdom, 2018. Illyrial, or A Voyage to Other Worlds by Vladislaw Lachsima. Preface When children are shown the wonders of the heavens for the first time in the telescope, their natural exclamation usually is, Are there any people up there in those planets? It is an old question, and the affirmative answer is rather supported than overturned by the discoveries of modern science. When we are told that everything almost that we can see on earth, yea, every particle of dust, has once lived, we are inclined to think that the same law, which seems to be the dominant law of earth, i.e., that nearly all things on earth's surface either have lived or are now living, may perchance be the general law of the universe. Our earth is singular in nothing. In size, the giant planets Jupiter, Saturn, Uranus and Neptune are much larger, Mercury, Mars, the planetoids and the satellites much smaller. Venus, our twin sister world, almost the same. In form, the earth is nearly a sphere, and so are all or nearly all its fellow worlds. Some are more flattened at the poles and some less. The earth is enveloped in an atmosphere. So it seems are Venus, Mercury, Mars, and probably the giant planets Jupiter and Saturn. The earth has continents and oceans. So have Mars. And, probably, Venus. The earth has snow in winter. So it seems has Mars. The earth possesses a satellite. So do Mars, Jupiter, Saturn, Uranus, Neptune possess their satellites. In fact, the Earth is peculiar in nothing which we might expect to trace in other worlds. Why should we suppose it to be the sole abode of life? This subject has been much discussed, not to speak of the older astronomers, in our own time. Proctor, Flammarion, Brewster and Powell have discussed it. I must own that the objections have ever seemed to me to be most frivolous. Can this grain on the sands of infinity, this little planet of an unimportant system, be the sole abode of vitality? But if there be life, what life? This is a question which has occupied many of the noblest of human minds. Man cannot know absolutely in this his earth life what the life of other worlds may be. On nature's Alps I stand, and see a thousand firmaments beneath, a thousand systems as a thousand grains. So much a stranger and so late arrived, how shall man's curious spirit not inquire what are the natives of this world sublime, of this so distant interrestrial sphere, where mortal untranslated never strayed. 
Probably the best conception of this matter is that suggested by Messrs. Naismith and Carpenter in their valuable work on the moon, where they say, is it not conceivable that the proto-germs of life pervade the whole universe and have been located on every planetary body therein? In the moon, circumstances seem to be unfavourable to life. But it is a mere begging the question to assume that this is the law of every orb in heaven, save this earth of ours. In the following tale, or speculation, as you choose to take it, although apparently I have given no rein to the imagination, yet I have endeavoured to avoid as much as possible any conflict with established scientific discoveries, and indeed have based my speculations on the known facts of astronomy, only allowing the fancy to have free play where science is and must be unable in its present state to answer the questions here considered. If there are any statements which are found to be irreconcilable with any of the recent discoveries of inductive science, I shall be much obliged to any scientific reader to draw my attention to them, and they shall be corrected in a future edition. It will be noticed by the reader that to give it more human interest, and also to ventilate some practical subjects, there are two utopias in this book, the one in which there is a speculation as to a perfect society of perfect happiness such as may be regarded as a meditation on the possible joys of a future state. The other, a more practical utopia, implying the tendencies of human progress, and suggesting improvements for human society as it now exists. The other worlds beside these two, Venus and Mars, have no special earth lesson to teach, they are little more than bold deductions from observations or probabilities suggested by them. I have no means assumed, as some extreme partisans of the habitability of other worlds are wont to do, that all the planets are inhabited. I rather suppose that Earth, at present, is merely an example of one phase of planetary development, i.e. one in which life can exist, that some worlds are like it, though none in precisely the same condition, that others are as yet in a primitive state, just as the earth was in the period of, say, the secondary formations, that others, however, are more highly developed than this world, and finally that in others life is extinct. This ideal is much the same as that of Oersted, who says, on some planets the creatures may be possibly on a far larger scale, on others far smaller than on our own. On some, perhaps, they are formed of less solid matter, or may, indeed, approach the transparency of ether, or on others again be formed of much denser matter. The rational creatures on some of the planets may be capable of receiving far quicker, more acute, and more distinct impressions than on the Earth. We may imagine that there are reasonable beings with weaker faculties than our own, as I have in these pages supposed to be the case, 
but if we properly appreciate our present distance from the aspirations of our reason, we feel compelled to acknowledge that an endless number of degrees of development may exist above the point we have reached. I have further supposed that no two worlds are alike in their developments of vitality, just as no two are alike as seen in the telescope, nor in their apparent physical characteristics. Yet, as in all the solar system there is an underlying unity of design, so I have supposed that unity in diversity is the law of vitality as well as of matter, and thus that the life in each of our sister worlds is like some form or other of life to be found on earth. Just as the fact has been revealed to us by the spectroscope, that the same metallic and gaseous elements as we find about us on earth exist even in distant stars thus i have supposed that life in other worlds is like what we find on earth but that in each world there is a distinct development in the apportionment of each such development to diverse worlds i have supposed that the physical constitution of each world as far as we know it affects the form of life upon it as to the theological question of god's dealings with the inhabitants of other worlds i have hardly presumed to touch the subject these things we can only know when we see no more as in a glass darkly but face to face and it seems to me that those who have ventured to speculate on it as kircher or swedenborg have exceeded propriety. The pessimism of my hero also requires some apology. I appeal, however, to my reader's intelligence, whether anyone coming from a happier world and seeing the anomalies and misery of earth would not be shocked and pained. As it is, the pessimism of Illyrial is not stronger than that of the wise king in Ecclesiastes, nor of many ancient and modern philosophers. It is not nearly so bitter as that of Byron. With regard to the resemblances to other works of this character, e.g. Swedenborg, Fontenelle, Lord Lytton, etc., I may say frankly that I have not copied, consciously at least, from anyone. If resemblances occur, they may be attributed to the fact that two minds have come by diverse paths to the same conclusion, and that conclusion has therefore something to be said for it, which is all one can say for an obscure speculation of this nature. The fabric of the world is a continuation of my voice from another world, a short resume of part of which I have given in the Trehindra letter, to make the argument plain. I must add that the dramatis personae are, of course, purely imaginary. In conclusion, I must ask my readers to consider the work as a whole, and not condemn it entirely if they find some one passage opposed to their preconceived notions. I can hardly expect anyone to agree with me in all points. I trust, however, that this seemingly fantastic tale may encourage the young to study in more serious works the facts of astronomical science, 
and perhaps cheer their elders with the thought that though much is sad on earth yet there may be brighter worlds than this and a happier existence than we can have here earth is not the universe and our life here is not eternity end of part one preface